Understanding a single illness can teach us much about medical history and the characters that shaped it. Diabetes is no exception. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Jim Hirsch. Jim is a former reporter for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and the author of several acclaimed books, including the best-selling Hurricane, The Miraculous Journey of Reuben Carter. Diagnosed with diabetes at age 15, he is also a principal in Close Concerns, a diabetes-focused consultancy and publishing company in San Francisco. Welcome to ReachMD, Jim. Thank you. It's good to be here. In your book, Cheating Destiny, you spend many pages discussing the history of diabetes and its treatments. Why did you decide to include this in the book? Well, I think historical context is important for any subject, but I thought for diabetes it was particularly important because the history of the disease, I think, does shape our perceptions of it to this day. And that history entails that it was that the disease was first recognized more than 2,000 years ago. And for most of that 2,000 years, if you developed diabetes, that was essentially your death sentence. We had no treatments for diabetes. That all changed, of course, when insulin was discovered in 1922. And at the time that it was discovered, it was hailed as the miracle cure. It was considered one of the greatest scientific and medical breakthroughs in human history. And you go back and you read the, the stories about, about how insulin brought back the, the dead to the living. You know, people who were, who were dying of diabetes, they were on their deathbed. They were these skeletal type figures and they were injected with insulin and suddenly they arose almost. So there's all this sort of theological description of insulin bringing back the dead. And so what we now know, of course, is that Insulin was not a cure. It was simply a replacement hormone for the insulin that your body was not producing. And as we learn more about insulin and about diabetes, we we know that while insulin could keep you alive, it did not eliminate the risks for diabetic complications caused by hyperglycemia or high blood sugar. But this this notion of insulin as the miracle drug, this elixir that had this religious connotation, that shaped our perception of diabetes for the rest of the 20th century as a disease that really wasn't that serious. It was already either cured or kind of half cured, or if it wasn't entirely cured, at least we were most of the way there, and diabetes was really a success story, and we didn't really have to worry that much about people who, who had it because they had this amazing thing called insulin. And so I think when we look at the landscape now and how diabetes, in my judgment anyway, is probably our number one public health threat, not just in this country, but around the world, and why hasn't diabetes received the attention that it should? At least I would argue within the last year or so that it's gotten attention from like the United Nations and from some of the mainstream media. I think the reason why diabetes was neglected for the serious disease that it is, is because of this legacy of insulin that convinced people that the disease wasn't really that serious. Tell us what people did before insulin. How was it treated? There was really no treatment for diabetes until the turn of the 20th century. At the time, doctors understood that diabetes resulted in individuals having high blood sugar, and the high blood sugar 
was very much connected to how much food you were eating. And so doctors began to experiment with restricting food from people who had developed diabetes as a way of trying to uh, maintain normal blood sugars or reduce the high level of blood sugar. And there was this one doctor in particular named Frederick Allen who worked uh, out of New Jersey who started doing experiments first with animals where he would make the animals diabetic and then restrict food from the animals to see if the blood sugar would go down and then transfer that type, those kinds of experiments to people where if someone was diagnosed with diabetes, that patient would come to the clinic and he would restrict food from that person for like three days and then after three days would, would slowly begin to introduce food into the, into the patient's diet until that patient began to show sugar in his or her urine. And so this became known as the starvation diet in which patients would go to a clinic like this one and just be starved. And it was a horrific treatment. But to give you a sense of how bad diabetes was as a disease, the doctors who practiced the starvation diet believed that it was more humane to kill a patient from starvation than to have a patient die from diabetes. Hard to hear with our 21st century ears. Yes. Now, how did this all change with the discovery of insulin? So once insulin was discovered in 1922, we had a way of replacing the insulin that our bodies were not producing. And so the first thing it meant was that people who had diabetes could eat food again. They could take the insulin and eat food and still have close to normal blood sugars. The reality was that the insulin that was produced in the 1920s and 30s and even beyond was was very crude compared to the kinds of insulins that we have now. And while insulin prevented people from dying shortly after diagnosis, it, it did not do a very good job in, in terms of helping patients maintain near-normal blood sugars. And really, it was only after we developed much better insulins as well as the ability to monitor our blood sugars with meters. It was only after we had those kinds of tools that patients really had the opportunity to maintain near-normal blood sugars and the opportunity to really significantly reduce the risk of diabetic complications. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Jim Hirsch, author of Cheating Destiny. Elliot Joslin was another prominent figure in diabetes history. Tell us about him. Well, Joslin went to Harvard Medical School, and he saw his first diabetic patient in 1893, and he developed an interest in diabetes, and he opened his own clinic at the beginning of the 20th century in Boston. And, you know, the thing that fascinates me about Jocelyn is why would any doctor want to go into diabetes and specialize in diabetes at that time in history? Because basically you knew that every single patient that you had was going to die because until insulin was discovered in 1922, the best he could do was prolong a patient's life, but he couldn't really treat the diabetes in a way that would allow a person to live his or her normal lifespan. And in 1957, he gave a speech 
in which he he told people that he had had some 54,000 patients who had died on him. You know, that to me was always kind of mind-boggling, you know, how a physician could have that type of practice. Now, uh, Jocelyn was, a, in many ways, a brilliant visionary in that he understood the basics of diabetic control, that it was, you know, even after insulin was discovered, he always emphasized it was insulin and diet and exercise that allowed a patient to do well. He emphasized that uh, treatment of a patient should be a, a team effort. It's a physician, it's a nurse educator, it's a dietitian. And he was the one who really argued strenuously that to reduce diabetic complications or the risk of diabetic complications, you really needed to maintain tight glycemic control. This was a huge controversy for much of the 20th century in which really mainstream opinion in the medical community was that the risk of diabetic complications could not be reduced from tight glycemic control. And it was really just all kind of a roll of the dice about in terms of who, who developed complications and who, who couldn't. And ultimately, Jocelyn was vindicated through various studies that did indeed show that patients who maintained tight control would indeed reduce those risks. So much of what Jocelyn argued for has been vindicated. And of course, his clinic today in Boston does a great job. But I would also add that I think that Jocelyn's legacy is a little bit mixed because Jocelyn was a Puritan and heart, and he believed that a patient's ability to maintain tight control was also an indication of that patient's character. And he connected a patient's outcome with a kind of moralistic interpretation. And he was really one of the doctors who argued that if a patient wasn't doing well, it was the failure of that patient. It was, you know, the, the patient was somehow deficient in character. And I think that's an unfortunate part of the legacy because that feeling of guilt that patients have, I think that persists to this day. I don't think you know, we as a, as a diabetic community has done enough to make patients understand that it's a very complicated disease and they shouldn't feel bad when, when they fall short. So I think that too is part of the Elliot Jocelyn legacy. Thanks for the history lesson today, Jim. It's my pleasure to help out. We've been discussing the book, Cheating Destiny, with its author, Jim Hirsch. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library.